Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. On today's show, we're taking a closer look at the restaurant industry. What does it mean when restaurants close? What does it mean for the real estate investors that own these buildings? And on today's show, we're going to take a deeper look. This year, 76 restaurants closed in Dallas, never to return. It's common for some restaurants to fail, even in a strong economy, but this year was different. Several estimates from earlier this year suggest that 10% of restaurants closed permanently in the second quarter of this year. There's a running, albeit partial, list of about 60 restaurants that have closed permanently in New York City. That's up to the end of October this year. And the second wave of the pandemic will multiply the carnage. OpenTable is the company that makes it easy for you to book a restaurant table online. So not only are they convenient, they're also a great source of industry data. They maintain data for each city in which they operate, each state, each country, and even globally. And so far this year, the number of seated diners in 2020 is down 58.4% on a global basis. Seated diners are down 60.39% so far this year in the USA and 60.98% in Canada. Diners ate 49.3% fewer meals in the UK this year. Some of this business was offset by takeout business, for which we don't have an accurate global statistic. Needless to say, there are few businesses that can survive a 60% decline in business. If people aren't reserving tables, then servers are not needed. Dishwashers are not needed. Bartenders are not needed. In California, table reservations are down 65.6%. In Illinois, table reservations are down 70%. In New York State, a whopping 75%. And the data for New York City is an astonishing 83% for the year. That's a decline of 83%. goes without saying that the Paycheck Protection Program assistance that came at the end of March, consisting of 10 weeks of payroll, is not sufficient to cover a drop in revenue of 83%. Most of these businesses will have fixed costs that are simply too high for the small amount of government assistance to make a difference. The restaurant needs to negotiate with the landlord, and the landlord, in turn, needs to negotiate with their creditors. In some cases, if there's a multi-tenant property, the landlord might have a master lease agreement with yet another landlord, and everyone in this chain has to agree on a deferral or forgiveness of the expenses. For many businesses, deferring the rent isn't enough to save the business. If all the money is ultimately owed back to the landlord, it might take a restaurant 10 years to make up all that back rent out of the excess cash flow from the business when dining eventually returns to normal. The owner might simply choose to throw in the towel and determined they don't want to spend the next decade working for their landlord, essentially making no money for themselves. It might be easier to shut down and start again with something new when the time is right. So when all these properties are vacant, a new restaurant opening has a lot of negotiating leverage to demand rent concessions from their new landlord. The landlord faces a difficult choice of lowering their price to the point where of tolerable pain, or experiencing prolonged vacancy, which results in even greater financial pain. And when a new restaurant faces so much choice in terms of good locations, complete with modern kitchen facilities already in place, they can negotiate exceptional lease terms. It doesn't take long before the remaining restaurants start to demand the same rent concessions. We saw this in Phoenix, Arizona in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. At that time, commercial vacancy in Maricopa County was running around 22%. Anyone stuck with a new building had a terrible time attracting tenants. We looked at a brand new construction commercial condo complex east of Scottsdale. Even at a bargain price, we couldn't see how to make the numbers work for the simple reason that there were 74 individual condo units and we couldn't identify the tenants 
who would be willing to invest in the tenant improvements. Many of these spaces remained vacant for five years or more, in an environment where the vacancy was so high, neither landlords nor tenants were willing to spend the money on a build-out of tenant improvements, when already built-out space was available just down the street at a discount to the market. So here we are again with massive lockdowns. Statistics are telling us we have to force a degree of social distancing in order to try and at least mitigate the pandemic. We're losing more people on a daily basis than were killed in the September 11 terrorist attacks. That's each day, every day, seven days a week with no reprieve. Our healthcare system's under siege and routine but extremely serious health conditions like heart attacks, strokes, and cancers are not getting the resources they need to treat those conditions. That's only compounding the problem. So restaurant statistics over the past week which includes Christmas Day, showed a global average of 61% decline in table reservations for the last week of December compared with the same period in 2019. The U.S. average was 62.25% down and Canada was down 74.5% compared with the same period last year. In my opinion, we're not going to see recovery in the restaurant industry until at least the spring. Until that time, I don't see many people making significant investments in the traditional seated dining room. The big question is how many businesses will be left standing in three months' time? As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.